if you have a Bible, and hope that you do, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. And so, Lord willing, we'll finish out in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 43 through 49. We'll finish this out. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49. Um, and so, um, we'll, uh, we'll see... Uh, to this, Lord willing, we'll finish up where we started last week. So Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. Luke 6, 43 through 49. And if you're physically able to do so, do let me invite you to stand with me one more time as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49. Hear the word of the Lord given to you and I this morning. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he, whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did, did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would bless your word, grant that we would follow you in Christ's name, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. If I am going to build a home a bridge or building of any kind, I am going to make sure that a structural engineer is employed. And I'm going to make sure that that engineer is well, well versed in, in his trade and his craft so that he or she will make sure that the building that I am building is not going to fall down once it is built or at the first gust of winds that the, the wind is not going to knock that building down. I don't know if you've ever been in a skyscraper, but sometimes as you're toward the top, uh, you can feel the sway, and yet you have the complete confidence that that building has stood the test of time and that uh, it's not going to fall, no matter how, how much of the sway that you feel. Um, and so you can thank a structural engineer for that, that blessing of not being afraid of toppling over. And the same is true whether I'm building a bridge or whether I'm building a house or whether I'm building uh, whatever the case may be. I'm going to want to make sure that a structural engineer has made sure that everything looks good. I'm not going to simply go and start building on a pile of dirt or on a mound of earth. I'm going to make sure that I know what I'm supposed to be doing and what it's supposed to look like. Well, you might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? I would say to you, well, according to Jesus, everything. That is that uh, we have a structural engineer of sorts 
in our own life, don't we? Jesus, whom has called us to, uh, to, to build upon the foundation that he has given us. He, Jesus himself being our foundation. Jesus himself being the one that has, uh, that, has, that has caused us to be able to build well upon the foundation that is Christ. So last week we looked at the, the idea even of, of how this applies to trees. Uh, and bearing fruit in keeping with the types of soil and how well their roots are are grown into the ground and how well that they are uh, they are making sure that they are digging deep into the earth and are f- having a good and solid root system so that at the first sign of a wind they're not going to get blown over and Jesus himself talks about this right that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit um, and so we talked about the importance of of seeing the types of trees that we are, uh, whether we are true and right and good or if we are not. And so we looked at all that that is there for us in the, the heart of the, the believer and, and knowing the source of the, our life's fruit. Because we would hear of Jesus's, uh, Jesus's parable here, his word pictures that he gives us, and he says, hey, this is, this is how you know that you are actually followers of mine. And we talked about how the importance of the source of our life's fruit and the words of our hearts are but overflows of our own lives. And so we said that a man's words uh, or, or a, a woman's words expose their true nature. We said that a person's words expose who they really are deep down within their hearts it exposes their motives, their desires, their ambitions, or their, even their lack of initiative. We talked about the importance of knowing that from a man's lips or a woman's lips comes the exposure of their true character, that whether they are good or bad, kind or cruel. And again, Jesus reminding us here that a person's words expose what they're thinking, whether they're pure thoughts or impure thoughts, dirty thoughts, clean thoughts. And then a man's words expose the type of spirit that that uh, that they have whether they believe because they're going to b- pursue what they say they believe whether they are legitimately doing that or illegitimately doing that um, we are to we know what a person is like by the types of fruit that they bear in their lives whether they are a follower of Christ be they man or woman or or a boy or a girl followers of Christ are going to produce the types of fruit that uh, that that are in keeping with their character and within their nature so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to pick up here in verse 46. Um, and we want us to see the requirement of the disciple of Jesus. What, the, the, what is the requirement of the disciple of Jesus Christ? What, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, really, it, uh, Jesus here is going to ask us a rhetorical question. He asks his disciples a rhetorical question, and it's a rhetorical question for us. And it's a question that gets at the heart of our inconsistencies. Because he says here to his disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you say that I am the Lord, and don't do what you what I say. It's a really a rhetorical question, right? Because within the within the the question, the answer the answer is built into the question, right? And the answer is you can't say that I'm your Lord and then don't do what I say to do. You can't say that you're a follower of mine and then don't do what I've told you to do. 
It's not possible. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is meant in, always in the negative. It's meant to be seen and answered in the negative. In other words, if you say you are a follower of Jesus, and then when you come face to face with the teachings of Jesus, and you say, no, no thank you, I don't think I would like to do that, I don't think I want to be a part of this, I don't think that I want to, I want to be accountable to you, Lord, then the answer is already in there that you do not have, we do not have Jesus as our Lord. Now again, does that mean that we don't sin as a believer? No, no, no. Of course we do. But again, it's out of, it's out of inconsistency that we do this. It's out of sinfulness that we do this. But a life that is consistently inconsistent, the Apostle John would tell us, is a, is a, is someone that cannot have the assurance of their salvation because you cannot say you know Jesus and follow Jesus and then say no to Jesus and say no thank you to Jesus and say no I don't think I want to follow you in this way or that way. A person who is consistently inconsistent should doubt their salvation. A person who is consistently inconsistent should, should be questioning their salvation and saying do I really know Jesus if I'm consistently inconsistent with what I'm saying in my life. If I'm saying that I follow Jesus and yet I am consistently inconsistent in my following of Jesus, there's reason to doubt our question, our, question, our salvation. This is, the, this is the rhetorical question that, that's meant to reveal their verbal acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and yet their lack of corresponding action in their lives. And it's interesting here because Jesus, I mean, Jesus just used the, the common word for Lord, right? And, 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 but yet it is significant because the title here, Lord, it designates someone who has authority and ownership, one who, one who has the authority to demand submission. And so Jesus is saying, when you say that I am your Lord, I am your master, I am your king, and then you say, I'm not going to live in accordance with what you have commanded of me, you and I can't rightly say that he really is our Lord. He really is our king. Because by saying Lord, and by the use here that Jesus puts before us, with the double emphasis of not just Lord, but Lord, Lord, meaning that you absolutely say with your lips that you absolutely recognize his sovereign authority in your life, or that I recognize his sovereign authority in my life. Anytime a word is repeated in the double here, it is meant to emphasize the, the word that is being spoken. And so Jesus is saying, when you say to me, Lord, Lord, you are saying, he who has absolute supremacy over my life, he who has absolute authority over my life, he who has absolute sovereign, sovereign rule and reign, he who is my king and my master, when we say that, and yet when we live in a life that is consistently inconsistent, we have betrayed with our actions what we say we believe. Jesus is pointing out the cognizant dissidence of a mind who would say, Jesus is Lord, 
and yet live in a way that is completely contrary. If you were to say that you were a citizen of the United States, and yet you were to seek to undermine the sovereignty of the United States, the rule of law within the United States, would you not be rightly, rightly accused of treason? Aiding the enemy to seek to undermine and destroy the sovereignty of a state or a nation is a treasonous act. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. If we say we follow Christ, if we are using the Semitic repetition that expresses this emphasis on intimacy and following of this person, and yet we live in a way that completely destroys that profession, Jesus is saying to us, you don't know me. This is why Jesus will rightly say in the Gospel of Matthew, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And many will even say, hey, we cast out demons, we healed sick people, and you're telling me that you don't know who I am? And Jesus is going to say, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Again, this is not meant to undermine legitimate profession of faith that struggles with sin that struggles but here's the reality someone we're not talking about someone who struggles against sin there's good news in that struggle because you're wanting to be free from that a person that is completely given over to satan in their in their lives although they profess christ they're never going to struggle with that desire against god they're never going to say, man, I want to be free. I long for the day that I'm free from this, this sin. I long for the day that I'm free from gossip or slander or whatever because I seek to constantly put it to death. Even when I'm falling, even when I'm struggling, I seek, I want, I desire to put that sin to death. That desire does not come from Satan. And that desire does not come from anywhere within us. And so we're not talking about someone who legitimately says, Lord, I'm following you. But like the father who stood before Jesus and he said, if you can. And Jesus responded, if I can, if you can. And the father responded about asking for the young boy's healing from the, demoni from being, from the demon possession. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That is still faith. It is a weak faith, but it is still faith. It is still faith in the Lord Jesus. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about someone, and you know them as well as I do. I'm related to some of them, as I'm sure you are too. They would profess with their mouth, I know Jesus. And yet when you look at their lives, there is consistently nothing about their lives that proclaims they know Jesus. They say they know Jesus. They profess Jesus. They maybe prayed a prayer and got baptized. But nothing about their life claims that they know Christ. That's who Jesus is talking about here. And this verse serves as a hinge. 
that's really going to connect the preceding fruit tree analogy to the foundational analogy. Because the structure here is, again, is meant to say, no, this can't take place. This isn't, this isn't right for you to say, Lord, Lord, and yet don't do a thing to, to follow me. And it's interesting, I would say this, I don't know if you've picked up on this as we've gone through Luke or as we go through Luke, but here's something I would, I would highly encourage you to pick up on as we do this. In Luke's gospel, the theme of hearing and doing is extremely important throughout the gospel of Luke. The, the hearing and doing of God's word is a recurrent theme throughout the gospel of Luke. And so this verse by Luke, by, in Luke's account here, what, what he is doing is he's emphasizing the importance, again, of obedience as an outworking of genuine faith. Because what does he say here? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he's like. Again, a profession without practice, a profession um, with with practice and and, and a profession without practice, right? He's going to give us these two foundational points here in verse, in following verses 46, uh, in in verse 47 and, and following, right? He's going to show us what a man looks like or what a woman looks like who says they follow Christ and yet their lives don't follow Christ and vice versa. And one who professes faith in Christ and then does what Christ has commanded. Listen to what he says here. Jesus Jesus speaking here. Whomever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house... And could not shake it, it was founded on because it was founded for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So you have profession without practice and profession with practice. If only there was another book that could help us out with this. Well, the good news is there is. And that book is the epistle of James. James addresses this very thing within his small epistle toward the very back of the New Testament. Toward the very back of the New Testament, James writes about the importance of confession with practice versus a confession without practice. And so Paul, Jesus is very clear here that a man who walks with the Lord, who loves the Lord, is going to be a man who professes and practices. Again, perfectly? No, no, not at all. We know that. But consistently desiring and seeking that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so... I would even say this, because there would be a lot of people that they would say in verse 46, before we, before we move on, before, before we get into the profession without and with practice here, before we get into that, let me, let me just show you something here. Who are the ones saying, Lord, Lord, here? Is it the pagans? Is it the Gentiles? No. Is it even the Pharisees? Well, no, because we know those guys can't stand Jesus for the most part. Is it the lawyers? No, 
Is it the, is it the, the religious elite? No. Is it the synagogue rulers? No. Then who? Those who say they follow Christ are the only ones who would be calling him Lord, Lord. And so in this very real sense, this is a warning addressed not to the pagans, not to the Pharisees, not to the religious elite, not to the Gentiles, but to those who profess that Jesus is their Lord. Jesus has a very clear warning that he, is, he gave earlier um, in, uh, or in a different, in a different um, book, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus himself is very clear here. But before I, I say anything else, let me just say, so what in, what's, in what sense then does Jesus claim to be Lord here? Well, Jesus is claiming the divine right, first and foremost, of authority. That he is asserting that he has the claim of divine authority. That he is the same as, the, he has the same authority that the Father has. And this is what Jesus meant in John 10.30 when he says, I and the Father are one. He's also claiming and saying, using this title in the way that he does, and the double emphasis here, he is also making a claim of not only divine authority, but also divine sovereignty. That is, he has, he has, he has the, the authority over nature and sickness and demons and, and, and people and all, you name it, over earthly, over earthly authorities. Jesus has it all. In judgment, then, Jesus is saying by claiming this title to himself, he is claiming that he is the judge of the living and the dead, as Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, in a different passage. He's also claiming the divine right of universal worship by saying, Lord, Lord. He is claiming that all should honor him, as he claims, makes the same claim in John, John 5, 23, or again, of the time in which there is a coming day in Philippians 2, 9-11, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the name above every name that Jesus has given? It's not Jesus. Because there were lots of people named Jesus during this day. It is the name Lord. It is the name Lord that Jesus claims to have and has the right to claim as his own. And then ultimately, it is a divine right of salvation. The claimed authority that Jesus is talking about here is a, is a prerogative that the Jews would have clearly understood belonged only to Yahweh. Would have only belonged to Jehovah. They would have clearly understood and here, or in Mark 2, 5-7, through 7, Jesus, when he heals a paralyzed man of his sins, what does it say? Or in, in the Gospel of John, or even in Luke, we've seen, he says, your sins are forgiven. And they say, how dare you tell this man that, he has, that his sins are forgiven? Who are you? Jesus says, I am. To which the Jews would have rightly understood Jesus is making a direct claim of being Yahweh. The one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And so Jesus is saying in this title, Lord, Lord, he is claiming divine authority, divine sovereignty, the divine right of judgment and universal worship and the divine right of saving sinners.
And so this is why he talks about these two trees up until this point. Some here, some produce, some here and do not produce. And the person who truly believes that Jesus is Lord will submit to his lordship in all of life consistently or perhaps even inconsistently at times, but we will desire to honor the Lord. If you can sin and sin freely, let me make a completely tragic statement. If you can sin and sin freely without any conviction whatsoever, the word of God says, then are you illegitimate children and not sons in the book of Hebrews. If you can sin and sin consistently without conviction, you can't know Jesus because Jesus rebukes his own children when they sin. And so the result of being a follower of Christ here is found in verses 47 through 48, or 49, excuse me. And Jesus again shifts from the tree to the foundation. Now, I will say this, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find that there's one small important thing that Matthew adds that Luke does not feel the need to add. And that is that we are told in the Gospel of Matthew that not only did the floods come, and not only did the the rains beat upon that house, right, like here, but that the winds also beat upon that house. Now, Jesus here, and he's speaking, he doesn't use this same phrase of the winds beating, but he does use the same phrase when he talks about that the the rains came and that a flood came and it vehemently beat against that house. And that ruin of that house was great. And so the wise disciples' resilience through obedience is clearly seen. Let me ask you this, who's the one doing the action? Well, a lot of pastors would say, well, it's just the storms of life. That is not exegetically responsible. That's, it has nothing to do with the storms of life. It's not just, oh, we're going through life and all of a sudden, you know, go through a really bad patch. Boom, uh, are you a follower of Jesus or not? No, 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 no. Who brought the, this is a direct reference back to Noah's flood. Who brought the flood? Who sent the rain? Who beat vehemently upon the the house? It was a test of the sincerity of the faith of the one that said that they followed Christ, sent and brought upon them by God to test the sincerity and the genuineness of their faith. Now, how do we know this? Well, if you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, how is, how is the wind used? The Ruach of God, right, in the Old Testament. How is that consistently used? Well, in the beginning, the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, was upon the face of the waters. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, verse 3, and following there in the encounter with Nicodemus, that the Spirit of God goes wherever he wants. The, the, the wind, the breath of God, the same understanding of the Ruach of God back in Genesis chapter 1, throughout the Old Testament, what was it that Satan was allowed to send against Job and against his children, or specifically his children? It was the Ruach of God that destroyed the house that the children were in. This is not just stuff that happens to us. 
This is God testing the sincerity and the genuineness of the faith of the one who says they follow him. And he says that that will be seen in whether or not the house stands. And all of that is based upon the foundation that the house is built upon. Christian, you are not at the hands and the whims of just life. If that were the case, my goodness, we would be in so much trouble. If we're just sort of going through life, just sort of acting against, well, you know, oh man, this happened, that was really bad. Oh man, that happened, that was really good. Oh man, you know, just life is life, and that's just all you get to it. For the child of God, we don't have that understanding. We know that everything that is sent into our lives is sent into our lives by God for a purpose. And you say, well, I don't know what most of the purposes are, and to which I would say, neither do I. But I know this, that if you're still standing, it's because your God has sustained you. We're not at the whims of the troubles of life or the problems of life. We're at the mercy of our Savior, our God, our King, our Lord, our Master. And so it is not just stuff that happens to us. It is the God that we profess to believe who sends these things against us to test the genuineness and the sincerity of the faith we say we have. And to maybe for some of you, that's completely controversial. Like, oh my goodness, I've never heard this one before. But that's the, that's the meaning of the text. That's what is here. It's not just stuff that happens. It's not just stuff that goes along through life. This is what God does in our lives to test the validness and the sincerity and the genuineness of our faith. And so we have the resilience through obedience here. But it's not obedience that originates from us, but, but obedience that originates and the sincerity that originates from the one from whom we have built our lives on. And so really, this, this, at the very tail end here, this is all an encapsulation of the message, really, of the whole Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus, because Jesus will say something very similar at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. All of this really just encapsulates what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow him and to, to, to honor him. These are, these are not simply ethical instructions here that Jesus is giving us. But they're, they're instructions of the child of God who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you hear, when it says here, he is like a man, or whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show, him who, I will show you whom he is like. The, the idea there is that Jesus is saying, the one who comes to me, this one hears my words, and this one then puts them into action. And so it emphasizes a personal approach to the faith and the active listening and the active implementation of the faith that is produced by the foundation. Jesus. Let's just say what it is. Jesus. The rock, the foundation here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation that Jesus has given to us and laid for us. 
And it reveals that those who are who, who follow the Lord Jesus will be preserved and will persevere. Because notice this. Notice the words dug and laid here. These aren't things that we're doing. These aren't things that the man is doing. This is things that were already done for him. We don't dig for the gospel. We don't lay the foundation of the gospel. The foundation is already laid for us. It's already been dug for us. It's already, it's already there. It's an unmovable and enduring foundation. We simply build our lives upon this foundation. And how do we know that our lives are built upon this foundation? Well, take a look at what you profess and what you say and then look at Look at what Jesus says. Because in all of this, Luke's point is to point us to the reality that for us who are in Christ, we aren't at the mercy of whatever. We are at the mercy of God's grace, the mercy of God's kindness. The ultimate takeaway then is a call to spiritual diligence that encourages us to establish and maintain that, that maintain our confession of faith. But the foolish person then, on the other hand, what, what's the difference? The same profession, Lord, Lord, building, floods, rains, Matthew tells us winds, all of it's exactly the same. There's only one distinct important difference. What is that? The foundation. And so really the passage here, this passage really does challenge you and I to self-examine our hearts and ask ourselves whether we really are built on the solid ground and the solid foundation of Jesus or are we grounding ourselves on the shifting sands of superficial faith? Let me say that again. Is your faith grounded and rock steady because it's on the rock of Christ? Or have you built a house on the shifting sands of a superficial faith? That's the question. Because the testing is the same. The floods are the same. The difficulties sent are the same. The word vehemently there means that exactly. It, it, is, it is an unrelenting, very difficult thing that happens. And because of it, Jesus says, and great was the fall of that house, or great was the ruin of that house, or the ruin of that house was great. Why? Because they professed something that was not real. They professed something that was not real. There is no ambiguity here about the outcome for those who disregard the teachings of Jesus, who say they follow Jesus, but then completely disregard the teachings of Jesus. 
And listen, this isn't about being a good person, a moral person. You will be a moral person if you're a follower of Christ. You will be a quote-unquote good person if you follow Jesus, right? That is in your actions and your, your desires. But the question really is, is your faith superficial and nominal? Or is your faith genuine? Is your faith genuine? And the collapse of our of the house that Jesus mentions here is sobering. It should be sobering. Because the passage really does challenge those of us who say we follow Christ to consider the foundation of which our lives really are built on. And so let me exhort you to examine your own life. And if you find that you truly are not built upon the foundation of Christ, then do this. Repent and trust in Christ. Align your life to the mission or to the message of the gospel. Come to Christ. Believe in his finished work. Come and be what you have always said or professed you were. Become converted. Be converted. Be born again. Don't sit there in your superficial nominal faith. Repent and come to the one whom you say you follow and truly follow him. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace. We ask for your help, God. There's been much law presented. But God, we also know that there's grace. Because you've brought us here by grace. You've brought us here to hear this passage. You've brought us here to, to, to hear the call of examination of our faith. Whether our faith is genuine and true or whether it's superficial and nominal. God, there's grace in, in us being challenged to examine our lives, to see if we are in Christ. And even for those of us who are here, there's grace when we, when we know that we truly have been, we truly have placed our faith in Christ and we are truly anchored on the foundation and in the foundation of Christ and yet we also sense the weight of the inconsistencies of our life. There's grace when we feel that to be, to be, for repentance and that we may flee to Christ knowing that we're forgiven knowing that we are loved knowing that we are at the mercy of your grace and so let us live in that moment let us live in that truth and that reality though yes we may be at times very inconsistent there is grace in those times of inconsistency that we may now be able to cry with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So God help us to walk in Christ we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best 
For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish 